When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice, and I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin, and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to badlandsfood.com hometown and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash hometown. like sand it looked like dirt <laughs> absolutely um you know they referred to it as the as the dust bowl even when they played football back then <laughs> at the other end you saw some rusted dilapidated fencing i look at it like this it was a big part of the community but it was a yard that was in disrepair and it needed people coming together and i'm putting their hearts together putting their souls together and letting their sweat flow together and when you look at it today that's how you see that transformation this is the story of how a small segregated high school in south carolina won a state championship in 1963 despite playing on a field known as the Dust Bowl. Even calling the Dust Bowl a field was an exaggeration. There was no grass, and it was such a poor playing surface that it sloped four to six feet from one end to the other. The players themselves at Lakeview High School were shorter and smaller than their opponents, and yet they dominated them to the tune of 526 to 27. This means that over the course of 13 games, the average score was 40 to 2. This is also the story of a community that gathered to save the legacy of that team and to renovate the Dust Bowl. As of this year, it's green and level. The 4 to 6 foot slope is gone, and the field is outfitted with a high intensity light system for night games. Thanks to the generosity of a local power company called Dominion Energy. 
the high school itself has been transformed into a thriving community center. And today I have the privilege of talking with some of the people who made it all possible. I'm here with the 1963 team captain, Benny Sultan, also chairman of the board for the Brooklyn Lakeview Empowerment Center. Joining us are Reverend Charles Jackson, former student and chaplain at Lakeview High School, and Keller Kissam, president of Dominion Energy, South Carolina. Let's go ahead and go back into history, and I'll let you guys decide on who would like to answer this question, and you guys can chime in whenever you'd like. But I'd like to start by finding out what the atmosphere was like in South Carolina leading up to 1963. A lot of people who will be listening may not have lived in 1963, certainly may not have been from South Carolina or the South. So if one of you guys could speak to that era. First of all, Shane, thank you for having us. My name is Benny Sultan, and I graduated from Lakeview in 1964. To answer your question, what it was like in 63, first of all, I think I need to just give a little background, okay? The former Lakeview school goes back, the history goes back into the 1920s, and communities were segregated, and the schools was a hub not only for education, but for other events. It was a community center. So all of the services that were available came through the school. Although it was a school, it also served the community. So more specifically, in 1963, what was happening is that integration was being talked about. And there were a lot of folk who, whites, who did not understand what was happening. And there wasn't a lot of interaction between the races. So they didn't really know us. All they knew is the accounts that someone else characterized about us. And I'm going to just mention one thing, because Keller said at the beginning that I was the captain of the football team, and I was one of the captains. It was three of us, okay? And so I've been in a leadership role. And when I graduated, leading up to graduation, they were looking for someone to be the valedictorian. And for some reason, they couldn't find anybody, so they chose me. So teachers and the administrators said to me, said, Benny, we want you to let folk know that African-Americans, Blacks, that we're on the level with anybody and we can compete. My, my focus had always been, and what I wanted to pursue after high school was technology. So I wrote a speech and let them look at it. And I'm just going to do one excerpt, if you can believe it. From almost 60 years, I still remember it because it came from the heart, okay? And it was a charge to my classmates. And we said to them, we said, the science-minded youth of today are interested in aerodynamics, vertical planes, high-speed jets, and orbiting capsules. And they are thrilled by linear accelerators and inertial celestial radar navigation systems for interplanetary travel. My fellow seniors, let no one tell you that you can't do it and that you can't achieve. Let everyone know that you're a graduate, a proud graduate of Lakeview High School. I'm bringing that up not to give myself credit, but to answer your question. Just that event, because the administration, as far as the district and all, they were white. 
And they all were looking like, because they were talking about when integration came, that they were going to have to put us back a grade or two because we were not up to par. But I think that did something to let them know that we had some dynamic teachers and they were serious. Although it was a segregated school system. Okay, so that I just wanted to give you a little overview of what was happening because, you know, when people perceive one thing and then when they find out, they go, oh. So I just wanted to mention that and say to you that it was a segregated school. We were taught and there was discipline. The key word there, discipline, what we don't have today, we don't have the discipline in the schools, but we did have it back then. Back then, because of you being a segregated school, did you only face black students or did you also face white students? No, the whole system in South Carolina and all throughout the South was black and white. So the only there wasn't any interaction with the races other than black. It's always black on black, white on white. That was the hard segregation era. And the thing about it is, and I'm trying to emphasize that our teachers... Now, let me explain this. Most of them had advanced degrees. They went up north to get advanced degrees, but when they came back home, they couldn't work at the the local white universities because they were not integrated. So they came back to teach us. Those were the jobs that were open for them, was teaching in the local all-black high schools. So that's why the education that we received was really good because they were challenging. You know, we were in the eighth grade, and when ETV started now, I, when I turn on my television, I see ETV. I was in the first ETV class in 1960 taking algebra, okay? And our math teacher, she was telling us that is going to be the way of the future. That was long before podcasts, long before all of those things, is that, and that was in 1960. You said that throughout your history at the school, it was segregated the entire time, correct? Absolutely. I started there in the seventh grade in 1959. And when I graduated in 19, in seventh grade, see, those schools, the African-Americans, it was typical to have first grade through 12th grade all within the same, on the same piece of property and within the same buildings. Okay. I came from, there was a lot of feeder schools. There was only, in Lexington County, there were three all-black schools, and Lakeview was the largest of those schools. And because of where it was located, believe it or not, to help sustain segregation, students came from adjoining counties, three other adjoining counties, from Calhoun County, Richland County, came to Lakeview. I drove a school bus my last two years, and my route would take almost an hour to go around to pick up the students. Are you saying that while you attended school, you drove the school bus? Absolutely. Back in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s, the students were the school bus drivers. And we had to go take a test from the highway, from the DMV, and to get qualified to get a license to drive a school bus. And yes, sir, so we drove school buses, and they paid us $35 per month. And doesn't sound like a lot today, but we were glad to get that $35, okay? <laughs> and I've done a little research since in South Carolina, they changed the law and had adults driving school buses. And I've done some research. The difference in the safety record between when the students were driving 
And now that the adults are driving, it's either equal or the students may be better drivers. <laughs> now, one, one question I haven't been able to answer is back in when I was driving a school bus and all of my peers, the school buses were governed. They had governance on them as far as the speed. And they, the fastest that they would go would be 45 miles an hour. And that would be down a hill. So I'm not sure today what, with the adults, whether they have the buses governed that way for speed. Now, what year was it when you started hearing about them? Was it them introducing white people to the school or were they talking about closing the school down? What was talk like? During the 1963-64 era, there wasn't any talk about actually closing Lakeview. It was just that the schools would be integrated. We didn't know what that meant. We didn't know whether we would be white students would be coming to our school or we'd be bus to other schools. We didn't know. But all we knew is that there was talk about that the black students were not going to be on the same level. And that motivated us to, to say that we can compete with anybody. So that immediately... Well, you certainly compete with them on the football field. Now. <laughs> you can't, you've got to tell him about that. He's got to hear that. This is Keller Kissam, president of Dominion Energy. South Carolina. The <laughs> academics is great, but he's got to hear about the football and the defense and the scores. So you got to tell him that. Let me let me do a backdrop, okay? When you're from a deprived area, even in segregation when it was all black, you had certain schools, all black schools, that had more resources. They had all of the things mostly that they needed. But Lakeview was in a deprived area, even going back into the 60s. And as football players, we knew that everyone expected us not to be able to perform or to win. That motivated us. So when when we started playing, going back into the 50s, before I started playing, my uncles played on the team, and Lakeview always won. It was never whether we were going to win or not. It was going to be what the margin of victory is going to be. <laughs> and then in my senior year, we all knew because we were slightly undersized as players. Football players, the scouts and everybody's looking for big people. So we knew that we probably wouldn't get the opportunity to play at the college level. So our coach said to us in 1963, he said, I want you all to go out and show everyone why Lakeview have held these championships and why we win all of these games. So that year, we scored 526 points and all of our opponents, 13 of them, only scored 27 points aggregate against us. <laughs> so that... How many games? How many games? In 13 games. 13, <laughs> 13 games. We scored 527. So there, there was... And back in those days, for a black school to get a headline in the local newspaper was a big deal. And one of the headlines, because some of the reporters came over, and they went back and reported that 66 to nothing was a routine win for Lakeview Tigers. <laughs> so we knew we took football to heart. We were trained like Olympic athletes. We studied the game. And our coach was a brilliant man. His name was Reginald Danner. And Danner said that size is only one factor. He said speed and know-how and the desire to win can overcome size. And that stuck with us. And he said this, he said, yeah, they may, a player may be bigger than you, 
but he's not bigger than two of you. So everything that you do it as a team, every tackle, it was always wow. two people. Every wow. time we did an end sweep, there may be seven or eight people leading around. Wow. The end, okay. <laughs> so we raised this football thing to an art form and we knew that we were, and then the whites, because of the segregation, they heard about us and they started coming over to this area in the black area and the strengths that Keller was just talking about, there's a row of homes along there. The whites would get up on top of, pay the black people 50 cents or a quarter to get on top of their homes so that they could see the game. And we knew that we had an audience and all of the other black schools around that was much larger than us and had the resources, they came over. And our coach would always tell us, he said, they're coming to see y'all lose. And when he said that, we knew that it wasn't going to be 40 to nothing or 30 to nothing. It was going to be 50, 60 to nothing. So we did what we had to do. We took care of the business. I'm wondering if you could describe what the field looked like back then. And also, if you could describe what a field would have looked like at a white school back then. It's a, that's a great point. The field named by the students going back before my time. My uncle was in the school in the 50s. It was named the Dust Bowl because you couldn't find a blade of grass on it anywhere. It was until the city of West Columbia volunteered. Our administrators went to them, and before a game, they would come with the fire engine and water the field down to hold down the dust. It was that bad. And the grade, there was, a, as Keller just mentioned, that thank God that he got his crew over there to level it finally after almost 50 years, there was a almost four or six foot drop off from one end to the other. Now they didn't score all their touchdowns running downhill. I want you to know that. As you can tell from his comments, they scored as many running uphill, okay? And to that point, some of the coaches tried to use that as an excuse. And our coach was a young, brash coach. And he told them at halftime how you normally change goals and switch going he said, you can go downhill the whole time, and we're still going to be <laughs> And we did. It's amazing. Unless you guys have any more to add in leading up to this 1963 event, I would like to go ahead and lead into that. Yeah. Let me just say this. You've been asking the questions, and, and we've been trying to paint a picture of what the school was like. And as Keller said earlier, Pastor Jackson, Charles B. Jackson Sr., he was there until he was in the 10th grade. And then he was the product of the integration. So I'd like for him just to tell a little bit about that transition going from Lakeview to Brooklyn Case. You're listening to Hometown History from Black Label Podcasting. Let's take a quick break to talk about this episode's sponsor, Babbel. For most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. German was my language of choice, and I don't remember one word of it. Now, thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling around abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, 
Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. With Babbel's 15-minute lessons, it's a perfect way to get some lessons in, even with my busy schedule. This time around, I'm learning French for an upcoming trip. I only have a couple more months to learn how to ask for a glass of water and which way the bathroom is. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash hometown. That's babbel.com slash hometown for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. I'm Charles Jackson, a senior pastor of the Brooklyn Church. During the period of time in which I entered Lakeview in the first grade, I continued in my education to the 10th grade. And at such time, the Lakeview School closed due to integration. And the students who were attending Lakeview, depending on where they resided, were zoned to either Brooklyn Casey High School, from which I graduated, or Airport High School. That was one of the most difficult times in the lives of students during the 66, 67, and 68 years, because at that time, they began talking about closing the Lakeview School. That was scary to us because we had very little interfacing and interaction with the white students. In fact, most of what we received by way of textbooks had been passed on to us from the Brooklyn Casey High School or Airport High School in Lexington School District 2. So we were very uncomfortable, a lot of anxiety, even some hostility among some of the students when we got to the final year, knowing that the school would no longer be and we would have to integrate with the Brooklyn Casey High School or Airport High School. It just so happened only as God would have it to be. I started preaching when I was but 10 years old. <laughs> now, this is the miracle happening yes. with which we've yet to be able to understand. Amen. This is the miracle. I was a licensed preacher in the fifth grade, Lakeview Elementary School. The principal of the Lakeview School, first through 12th grade, was Reverend Dr. Miles D. Bogan a pastor in the Columbia area. So when we got to that final year of integration, because I was a preacher, he called me in his office and he said to me, he said, Charles, the district is closing the Lakeview School and we are being asked to integrate Brooklyn Casey or airport, depending on where we were zoned. There are a lot of feelings. Emotions are really high. Teachers have indicated to me that their students are having a difficult time accepting the closing of their school. Since you are a preacher, I need something of you. I need you to serve as the primary leader of the students at Lakeview and ensure that there are no protests, there are no riots, that if the students feel they need to talk to somebody about whatever they're going to, I need you to be that person. I shall never forget that conversation that uh, I had in the office of Dr. M.D. Bogan. And so I accepted that as a challenge because I grew up with some strong 
Christian values and godly principles. Our parents poured the character of Christ into us. And so as a result of that, we saw community, something that has defined the Brooklyn ministry during the 52 years I've been serving. I just happened to serve my home church, the only church I've known anything about where I grew up in the Sunday school and in the few youth activities that we had. So always looked upon church as community. Come unity. Come let us unite one with another. And I think that has been what we have been able to accomplish together in partnership with Dominion Energy, because we believe so very much in community. We have preached, we've taught, we've lived that during the years in which I've tried to serve the Brooklyn Church. In fact, when I graduated from seminary at Morehouse in the mid-70s, I would say to our people repeatedly every Sunday morning, and it would usually be printed on the bulletins, that the true measure of a church is not determined by what it does for itself, but by what it does for others. And I think that was instilled in me as a student at the Lakeview School as we had to deal with the closing of the Lakeview School and the integrating with Brooklyn Casey or Airport High School. I love that. Pastor Jackson, I have a quick question for you that I wrote down. You said that it was in 10th grade, right, when that happened? Yes, sir. sir. Were you a football player back then? (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Let me share this with you. I tried to play basketball. And so I went out for the basketball team, 9th grade and 10th grade. And I was cut. Watch this. They cut me Both times I got cut. It just so happened that the coach of the basketball and football teams at that time, a guy named Harold White, succeeded Reginald Daniel. And so he he told me after he joined the Brooklyn Church that I never would have become pastor of the Brooklyn Baptist Church if I had, if he let me make the team, because the guys on that team would have beat me all up. I'd be all bruised and bandaged <laughs> because of how gifted and talented they were. He said, man, I had to save you because I knew the Lord had something else for you to do. <laughs> so I got cut two times. Never tried football, but I did try basketball twice. <laughs> And I will tell you, like Michael Jordan, they say he got cut off of his team when he was in like the 11th grade. Michael Jordan, that man right there is a superstar. Uh, I I can promise you that. So it's parallel to that same thing. He doesn't wear 23, but I tell you what, he wears a big old heart for all to see, and he draws people to him, and he is a true superstar in this community, and we love him. I love the Lord. I love God's people, sir. I'll tell you that I've always been very tall and I'm six foot nine now. And so I've always been very tall. And, but one thing is that I've always, I was raised by my mom and my grandmother. And so whenever the coach, either it be the football or the basketball coach would be calling around trying to get me on their team. My grandma would always be like, no, that's how kids get hurt. <laughs> and the coach, the coach would catch me at school and be like, "Can we talk your grandma into getting you on the team?" And I was like, "Look, my grandma is not one that you could talk stuff into, but he can never make it happen." Real, real, real quickly, I need to tell you this story because it parallels what you just said. Okay, we've been talking about football, and in 1962, Lakeview won the state championship in basketball. Okay, the same coach he coached basketball. 
Reginald Dan or any coach football. But the story like yours is doing physical education. We go out on the Dust Bowl to play touch football. And there was a guy on the team when we played touch football, he was so fast and so agile because no one could even touch him with their hands. (laughs) And the football coach came out there and saw him and said, who is this kid? And they called his name and they said, why don't you come out for football? Because we were in the ninth grade. So he did what you just said. He went down and he talked to his mother. He was on the band playing the trumpet and said, Miss Manning, said his name was Stanley. Said, we want Stanley to come out for the football team. And she <laughs> said, I don't know if I want my boy to play football. And he told her, he said, I promise you, we're going to take good care of it. So when we went to the 10th grade, because I, I made the football team the varsity in the ninth grade, wow. okay? So when Stanley came out the next year, he scored 22 touchdowns <laughs> his first year. His average in the 11th grade, all those points we were scoring, his average yard per carry was 14 yards per carry. <laughs> okay? And in the, in the senior year, it was 18 <laughs> yards per carry. I, I had to bring that up because, because, like you, he wasn't playing football, and Coach Danner saw him and how he could, how agile he was and how he could catch the football, he could run the football, he could turn on a dime. So she, he went down and talked to his mother. And his mother allowed him to come out, and the rest is history. <laughs> and just about every article from back in those days, you'd always see his name, Stanley, Stanley Washington. Washington. Stanley Number Washington. Number 22. To give you an idea of just how amazing those numbers are, for Stanley Washington to be averaging 18 yards per carry, the leading rusher in the NFL this season averaged 4.9 yards per carry. I love it. Yeah, our basketball coach even bought my grandma like a box of chocolate once, and she couldn't be she couldn't be swayed. <laughs> she was a strong-willed woman; she wasn't going to be swayed. But Pastor Jackson, another quick question, and maybe you can answer this because you were asked to be a leader at that time. But when the schools were segregated, and the and I'm assuming that the football team was still very talented and the basketball team was still very talented at the time. When those schools were segregated and those students had to go to those other schools, do you know what happened to those students and were those students able to play at those schools at that time? The challenge was, I think, on both sides. There was still some resistance by the students who were integrating the schools. And so therefore, they did not feel, this is my humble opinion, as if they were welcomed. Uh, And believe it or not, I don't know if you know this, but a number of them did not play. They went out and they quit. Yeah, they went out and they did not continue playing. Some of them did, such as this guy named Thad Rowe, who went on to the University of South Carolina. But unfortunately, a number of those guys who had played during their sophomore years prior to the closing, their junior years, went out for the team and eventually they quit. I wonder if they probably had a grandma or mom like mine. I mean, if I was in that situation and our schools were being segregated, that just seems like a dangerous situation. To be very honest with you, that had a lot to do with it. Now, this is very interesting. And this is very interesting. I went out for basketball at Brooklyn Casey High School 
made the team <laughs> and they started calling me Action Jackson. <laughs> Did you know that? You know, no, I didn't, I didn't know. Not, I played basketball. I played, I'm the all area team. I'll show you my pictures. Awesome. So I, awesome. Pastor Action Jackson. They called me Action Jackson. <laughs> I couldn't shoot at all now. I couldn't shoot by any means, but I was an excellent ball handler. And the shooters on the team loved me because I wanted to get the ball in the hands of the person who could shoot. <laughs> I shot 23% from the free throw line. I had so many lane violations because when I looked, I knew I would miss the shot. So I wanted to see where the ball was going to fall off the rim and try to get there and get the rebound and jiggle for somebody's hand because I was real short. But isn't that something? I did not make the team at Lakeview, but because a number of the guys chose not to play, I made the team at the Brooklyn Case and was an all-area player. I got some pictures. I couldn't shoot shoot at all, but I I was a defensive genius. They would always put me up on the top score if he was one, two, or three. That's awesome. I shut him down. Awesome. <laughs> but I couldn't shoot. I was a coach's nightmare. Let me say this right quick. I know we got. I was a coach's nightmare at the end of the game. If you know anything about basketball, you remember something called Hacker Shack. Shaquille O'Neal, they fouled Shaquille O'Neal. It was Hacker Jack back when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> they found me. They knew so, you couldn't shoot that fast. I could, they knew I couldn't shoot the fast. <laughs> and Coach needed to be in there, though, to get the ball at the court and then to guard the man. But he, he didn't want them to foul me. <laughs> so it was tough. But I enjoyed And that's where I developed some great friends. My pharmacist is a guy named Larry Stroud. Larry Stroud and I played ball together. And we're the best of friends, closest of friends even now. He's my pharmacist. And a guy named Fred Orr, who played the basketball, played basketball with me, two of the finest friends I yet have to this day. And those relationships were developed in 1968-69. That is awesome. Why don't we now go into the 1963 championship? And if you could explain what it was like to be there and what the games were like leading up to it. Okay. First of all, as I said, always practice before the practice session started officially, because we all lived in the, basically in the same community, we would get together on our own and train. We didn't have all of the equipment. My daddy ran a garage, so he would give us some old tires and we would tie the tires together and put a rope around our waist and drag it across the field to get our legs strengthened and to get our stamina up. So we would start practicing leading up to to, uh, to the season. So the season of 63, because we had a very successful season in 62, and then the word, we were so successful until the word was out that they're playing teams that are not really good or they're underperforming and those kinds of things. So we were hearing that. So what we wanted to do leading up for this championship season, we wanted to show everyone. So... There was a school out of Anderson, South Carolina, big school. It was all black, okay? Westside was the name of the school. They had players back doing segregation now. When you came out of high school in the South, you could not get the scholarship to go to those universities. So there were several players that were going to the Big Ten from this school. And when we had them on their schedule, everyone said that there's no way that Lakeview was going to beat them. Westside High of Anderson, because they had all these big players and some of them had scholarships. And we brought them, they came into West Columbia 
and we beat them 40 to nothing. And everybody couldn't believe it because one of the players, his number at Michigan State is retired. He was that good of a player. But we had a plan for him, and our coaches, they were a little upset at us at the end of the play, but they smiled once they saw the results. This guy's name was George Webster. He stood six foot six, and he weighed about 245 pounds, which is big back then, but it's not real big now, okay? But we were only like 150, 160. We had a, our big people were 170 pounds. So we had a play designed for him, and that set the tone for the rest of the season. And we call it the rat play. And our quarterback jumped back, went back to throw a pass, and he intentionally threw an interception because he this guy played both ways. He played offense and defense. So we threw the ball to him where he had to reach up. He thought he was intercepting, and he was intercepting the pass. But we had two of our receivers. They were coming at full speed. One hit him high, and one hit him low. <laughs> and the rest of the game, he was ineffective because he played the whole game. He was looking. He was looking. And now the kids, we, we came up with the play. And, 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 and he came back in the game. He had to go out of the game because okay, we hit so hard. So we came to the sideline. Our coaches looked at it, especially the head coach, Reginald Danner, said, he said, he called everybody son. And because I was one of the captains, he said, son, what kind of play was that? We don't have any plays designed where we throw the pass, throw a pass to the opposition. And then he thought about it, and then he rubbed his hair back, and he smiled. He said, boy, that was a smart play. So that, that whole season, wow, <laughs> the championship year of 63, as I said, some of the teams that we were beating, no one thought that we could play with them. And when we would run up the score, our coach, he got criticism. He got a lot of criticism because... He said we were running up the scores against these teams. It's all right to beat them. You beat them 60 to We beat one school 76 to nothing, okay? So they said, why? So by the end of the season, Coach Danner would take the first team out and put in the second team. And as soon as the second team got on offense, they'd score. And they did a little radio interview with him one day, and Coach was very emotional. He said, I don't know what they want me to do. He said, I put the second team in. He said, I guess if they want me just to let them win. He said, but that's not how the game of football. He says, I put in the players and they want to win. So I just let them have their time. So that whole season, our heart, mind, and goal was set on, we're going to be state champions and anybody that gets in our way, we're going to beat them. Now, the last thing that I want to say about it is that team that we played, for the actual state championship game was out of Charleston, Charleston South Carolina, Gresham Megan. And that school is on the National Historic Register, and the Lakeview site is now on the National Historic Register. And you know, that we won the game 13 to 7, okay, which was a departure from all of the big scores that we were because they were good and not making excuses, but I think it speaks to the level of depth of our players. Our first team quarterback and two first team running backs got injured in the first quarter. So we had to play with reserves wow. players, but they were we they were that good that we still won the game. And all 13 to 7 was a departure from big scores, but we did win the game. And Coach Danner, up until he passed away, he always talked about it because he said when those three, Billy, 
Stanley and Lewis, yeah, when they got injured, he just knew that there was no way we were going to win the game. But he didn't let us know that. But we were determined. And we would talk to the reserves and we'd tell them, this is your time to shine. Because they, on any other team around Columbia in South Carolina, they would have been starters. But because of the team they were on, they were reserved. So we told them, I was one of the captains, we told them, this is your time to shine. And one guy who ended up becoming a preacher like Pastor Jackson, Eugene, Eugene Green, he <laughs> broke away yeah. for a 65-yard yeah. yeah, run. Right. And the team just the team just was elated because we knew you had that kind of talent, but nobody ever got a chance to see it because he was a reserve and he didn't get in the game. That, that game, we won the game, but like I said, it's something that we will remember and we'll take to our graves because we knew that you couldn't find a seat or in, uh, in the nowhere in the place. And I'm saying whites were there in big numbers. We didn't know until 1996 that the district had recorded the game with an old 16 millimeter film camera. We didn't know because we were just kids. So in 1996, we were down at the district office talking about the buildings because we didn't want the buildings to be destroyed and all of those kinds of things. I'm saying the alumni. And one of the public relations people came over to me and said, we're cleaning out some things here. Because when when integration came, a lot of the memorabilia items and all from the black schools were not maintained and saved. So he brought this little machine around and put these images start coming up. And he said, do you know what this is? And I almost passed out. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Amazing. 33 years. And I said, where did you get this? He said, it was here in the draw. So I took it. And I, like I said, I was in the technical field and I had a lot of people that knew video and relationships. So I took, took the film and had them to put it on the old VHS format. And I kept it that way for about, really about eight years. And then over the years, we've had it enhanced. And Keller saw some of the footage from it's about 14 oh, yeah. minutes of the game from 1963 <laughs> and the play that, that, that the reserve running back broke away for 65 yards. It's as clear as day of that tape. <laughs> it, okay? yes. it was really something that we'll carry with us for the rest of our lives. Are you aware how our history is coming alive? and it's ever-present before us now, that's because of what Dominion Energy did. Absolutely. Uh, that's why we're talking like we talk with such much excitement. They have not been that much talking about uh, a conversation <laughs> about that past until Dominion Energy did what they did. Sure. We wouldn't be having this conversation if they <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. Benny and Charles have been kind enough to share that footage with us, and it will be up on our social media. The video includes a series of different clips from over the course of that game. This is, I don't think I ever told Pastor Jackson, now you can go back and ask some of the people from the time. After that season, the end of the season, after we won the state championship, there was a small black college in South Carolina called Morris College. And they had a football team. And and Coach Dana approached their coach and asked him, did they want to play us? Because wow. he wanted to see how good we were. He, he couldn't believe it. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And we thought the game was going to happen. But the coach from Morris College said, no, I don't think I want to do it. Because if I beat y'all, then we just beat up a little high school. And then if y'all beat us, then how did you let a little high school <laughs> team beat you? <laughs> no so, no it's win. a no-win situation. No but win. we were that confident. 
a lot of the wow. players from the local uh, all black school here, Benedict College, they would come over. Frank Hunter, you yeah. Frank Hunter? They would come over and practice with us, and get out, and we would tackle them to uh, to say that we, we were not we're not a trade. We don't care how big you are. And one of them, unfortunately, Frank Hunter, we hurt his ankle. He was a starting quarterback for Benedict College, and we hurt his ankle. Not intentional, but it was football. And so he'd always talk about how tough we were. And one of the one of the assistant coaches was from Florida. His name was Robert Jet Johnson. You ever remember him? Robert Jet Johnson uh, was out of Florida, and his he's in the Hall of Fame at the local college here in Columbia, Benedict College. And he was doing his student teaching at Lakeview during that season in 1963. And I'll never forget what he said when we were winning all those games, he said to our head coach, he said, Danner, where did you get these kids from? I've never seen kids that want to win and so dedicated to the game. But see, we knew that the only way that we could get respect is that we had to go out there and show folk that, hey, we're serious about this game. Okay, so that that's why when it came up time for the championship game, we were going to win. Fast forward 56 years. 2019, right. the community's four AAU Pop Warner football team, 12 and under, 10 and under, 8 and under, 6 and under, did something never having been done in Pop Warner football in the state of South Carolina. All four of them won state championships the same year, and one went on to win, it was it two of them, the national championship in Orlando, Florida. And henceforth, the renovating of the football field for these champions now some 56 years later. In the next episode, we're going to be talking more about the legacy of this team, the 1963 South Carolina State Champions. Benny, Charles, and Keller are going to walk us through the different renovations, what they mean to them personally, and what they mean to the people of West Columbia. Thanks for listening. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.